Welcome to another Macquarie Life Church podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. Great. How are we all this morning? I'm back. I'm back. It's taken three years. It's taken a global pandemic, but I am back. And I'm very, very pleased with that. Just before you grab your seats, just before you grab your seats, just before you grab your seats. Johnny Newsom, great to see you. Great to see you. Have you been noticing I've been liking all your, um, all your posts on Instagram? Because I, I, just, I just absolutely love what you're doing. You're an absolute legend. Absolute, absolute legend. Well, it is so good. Look at you guys. Oh, my goodness. This is definitely my favourite church in Australia, right? It is 100% the most non-religious church in Australia. Come on! Yeah. And uh, no, it is, it is seriously great to be here. My role has changed significantly. My world has changed significantly since I was with you guys, probably back in about 2017, maybe 2018. And um, as, as Pastor Ross mentioned, I'm now, our church has become a kingdom city in Auckland. We're in 35 different physical locations around the world. I look after our online, online campus which means continually, I live in a stupid time zone in New Zealand, which is about three hours ahead of anyone else, and it's just crazy. So we've just got this continual thing. When I'm asleep, there's great stuff happening over in Europe and in Africa. and So I get up in the morning with about 300 WhatsApp messages every night. I've pleaded the night before, I get up in the morning with about 300 different WhatsApp messages, but just about people, about some of the great things. We've got churches in Taiwan, in, um, we've got people in our online campus in Russia, throughout Europe, throughout Africa. We started our first connect about a month or so ago in Ghana. At their first connect, they had about 28 people attend their very first connect in Uganda. It's, it's all happening. We're all very, very excited. It's great to be part of what God is doing around the world. And believe it or not, you guys play a role in what God is doing in this part of the world. And it's uh, tremendously exciting. But we're going to get into the message right now. Is that okay? Don't take your seat yet. Don't take your seat yet. Because I thought it'd be nice if we could stand and read the Word together. Is that okay? I can remember being a, being a boy in the, going to the Catholic Church. And every time in the Catholic Church the Word was read, we used to all stand. Do you remember that? And I think it's kind of cool to show respect for the Word of God by us standing together. If you want to read the Word with, uh, word with me, I think we've got it on the screen behind me. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says this, To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me, but He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Don't you just love that? Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, right now, I pray that you would bless us the reading of your word. God, I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice right now that you would anoint our ears, God, to hear what you want us to hear this morning. Father, I pray that you would anoint our eyes 
to see what you want us to see, God. And above all else, I pray that you anoint every single person's heart in this place that we would receive, God, above everything else, the very thing that you want us to receive in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said? Now you can take your seats. Fantastic. Let's have the next slide, please, team. Kintsunagi is the Japanese art form of repairing broken pottery by mending the areas of breakage with lacquer mixed with powdered gold, silver or platinum. When the Japanese mend broken objects, rather than hiding the cracks, they tend to magnify them by filling the cracks with gold. The damage is not concealed, but rather it's accented and exaggerated. The Japanese believe that when something's suffered damage and has a history, it becomes even more beautiful than what it once was. No two were ever exactly the same. Each completed artifact is one of a kind, with the repaired piece often being more beautiful and valuable than the original. One of the Japanese ladies that I was talking to in my church when I was actually researching this this message that I'm sharing this morning actually told me in Japanese culture, rarely do people throw away objects. So, for example, if even a small teacup has a chip or is broken in some way, rather than throw it out, they'd actually rather repair it so that it can be used again. When you think about it, what a stroke of genius it is to highlight the fractures, to highlight the broken nature of an object, not only so that it can be used again, but so that this new, now one-of-a-kind repaired piece is stronger, more beautiful, and more valuable than the original. And with all that being said, I've called this morning's message, Beautifully Broken. You know, what an incredible likeness to kingdom that is right there. That regardless of the cracks, regardless of the fractures, regardless of the hang-ups, regardless of the baggage, regardless of our own human limitations and flaws. Those things that you and I carry, they render us useless. They render us not fit for purpose, right? Well, maybe that might be true in the eyes of the carnal man. Maybe that might be true in the eyes of our own humanity. Maybe that might be true in the eyes of some other person. But let me tell you, friend, that is never true in the eyes of God. Because behind every fracture that you contain, behind every area of brokenness, behind every human limitation that in your brain is so big, is so huge, maybe it's come as a result of some childhood hang-up, maybe it's come as a result of negative experience, maybe it's come as a result of trauma in your life. Whatever that looks like for you, let me say this. Let me, in fact, prophesy this over you this morning. Every broken fracture has the opportunity to be used. And every broken fracture has the opportunity to become something magnificent in your life. One of the great patterns of Scripture is this, is God uses what is broken to achieve His purposes, His will and His His intention on the earth. First of all, God uses broken things. Think about the feeding of the 5,000 for the moment. Verse 19 of Matthew 14, we read this. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. 
Before the multitude was fed, there had to be a process of breaking that needed to take place. Jesus took what he was given. Jesus took what had been placed in his hands and first of all, he broke it. That's when the miracle took place. The miracle took place after the breaking, not before the breaking. Think about the woman with the alabaster jar. A story that Jesus said will be told all over the world about her. What did she do? She broke the jar and poured the perfume on Jesus' head. You see, this jar, this flask, this vessel contained perfume. It contained an aroma, it contained a fragrance. Oil speaks to us throughout Scripture of the Holy Spirit, of the anointing of God. You see, that oil couldn't be released. That fragrance that was contained in the flask, in the vessel, couldn't be released until first there was a breaking that took place. Some translation says, breaking the seal, she poured the perfume out. Bible speaks about how you and I are the vessels, are the temples of God. We're the temples of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes even in our own lives, before the anointing that is within us, before the Holy Spirit, before the fragrance of God's purpose in our life can be released. Sometimes, just sometimes, there needs to be a breaking that takes place. But not only does God use broken things, God also uses throughout Scripture. We could go ahead and name them this morning if we wanted to. I'm just going to focus on two. God doesn't only use broken things, but he uses broken people. I think of someone like the Apostle Paul. How crazy is that story for those of you that know and are familiar with Scripture? The Apostle Paul, the great persecutor of the church, the great hater of the church. It was the Apostle Paul who was there giving his approval, giving his thumbs up at the martyrdom of, at the martyrdom of Stephen. The name Saul just, just generated fear in the believers of those days because he was a persecutor of God's church, of the church of Christ. But then we know the story on the way to Damascus. Why was he traveling to Damascus? To actually persecute more Christians. And then on the way to Damascus, he had an encounter with God where a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? In Acts chapter 9, verse 8, we read, Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here we have Saul. Upright, confident, self-righteous, self-assured Saul who is now completely blind and completely dependent upon the goodwill and mercy of others. But sometimes brokenness will do that. It will take our confidence off the flesh. It will take the, our confidence off our own natural ability, off our own natural inclinations whereby we are put in a place where we can do nothing other than trust in God. That was a turning point of Saul's life. This great persecutor of the church became the defender of the church, became the exalter of the church. Out of 27 books written in the New Testament, 13 of them were authored by the Apostle Paul. But where did it all start? It started right there at that point of brokenness. What about the Apostle Peter? The Apostle Peter was the most prominent of Jesus' 12 apostles. He was not just one of the 12, he was one of Jesus' inner circle of three. Peter was the first disciple to be called. 
His name heads every list of the 12 in the New Testament. He was recognized as the leader of the 12 and oftentimes called upon to be their spokesperson. But in Luke 22, we read of Peter's infamous denial of the Christ. Just before the crucifixion, when Peter was recognized as a companion of Jesus, it was Peter who replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight up at Peter. Then Peter remembered what the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And then he went outside and wept bitterly. That point right there became the turning point for Peter's life. Peter became the first apostle to actually preach salvation to the Gentiles. Peter became a key leader in the early church. As a result of this situation, Peter became a key leader in the early church. In actual fact, most of Acts, or about the first 11 chapters of Acts, are pretty much dedicated to the activities of the apostle Peter. And according to church history, Peter was crucified, he was martyred in Rome, upside down, at his request, because he didn't count himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus. It's hard to believe that this is the same Peter who denied Jesus three times. We started off this morning, we started off this morning reading one of the most well-known scriptures out of the New Testament, out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We know the scripture where Jesus said to the apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's perhaps few scriptures throughout church history that have generated more debate, generated more contention than this particular passage of scripture right here. Why? Because everyone wants to know, probably including most of the people in this room right now, everyone wants to know what was Paul's thorn in the flesh, right? We all want to know that. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? In verse 7, we read, and maybe we can actually show that scripture back up again, uh, team, that'll be great. Verse 7, we read, to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations. Listen to this. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I always find it interesting that Paul said there was given to me. He didn't say there was imposed upon me. He didn't say there was inflicted upon me. He said there was actually given to me. I did a bit of research on the Greek context of this particular passage of Scripture. The Greek word for given there is the word didomai, which literally means to give one something to his advantage. To bestow a gift. The word is commonly used throughout the New Testament and in most or on most occasions it's used in a positive and favorable context and not a negative context. We read that scripture and we think how negative it was. But the word used is to give something, one something to his advantage or to bestow a gift. So what was Paul's thorn in the flesh? Over Centuries of church history, theologians, Bible scholars have, have hypothesized, have guessed. At the end of the day, no one really knows what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, was, right? But it's interesting, again, if you look at the English concept of the word thorn and the Greek concept of the word thorn, they're quite different. You and I hear the word thorn and we think, you know, we're doing the gardening and we 
prick our finger on a, on a, like on a thumbtack on a, or on a rose bush or, or something like that. It hurts for a few seconds, but then we get into something else and the pain goes away, right? The Greek concept of thorn is a little bit different. The Greek concept and the word used here is more like a, a, a tent stake being driven and hammered into the ground to hold a tent in place, to hold shelter in place. So from the, this passage of Scripture, while we don't necessarily know the exact nature of Paul's thorn in the flesh, it is perhaps reasonable to deduce from Scripture this, that Paul's thorn in the flesh was some deeply embedded issue of life. We read how uh, three, three, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. How interesting is that, you know, those of us that face those kind of deeply embedded issues in our life, I've read that scripture and think, gee, Paul, Paul got off quick. He only had to pray three times. I've just prayed for this thing most of my life and it's, I'm, I'm still contending with it, right? Again, most Bible theologians would actually make this comment that the three times I referred, there is a pattern of speech used in Greek that represents an unceasing attempt to pray over and over and over about this thing, that it's not a literal three times. It's interesting that Paul's first reaction was that God would remove this affliction from him. But then in verse 8 we read this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. How awesome is that? So what's grace? Many people view grace in the context of pardon, God's unmerited, God's undeserved favour. And of course, that's part of the expression of grace. But throughout Scripture, grace is not just about pardon. Grace is actually also about power. So grace to me is God's enabling power to accomplish his purpose on earth. When the Lord said, my grace is sufficient for you, he was simply saying that his power, his grace, is not limited to your weakness. His grace is not limited by human weakness. God's gift to Paul was not the removal of the thorn, but rather the grace, the power to overcome the thorn. All of us in this room this morning, I think without exception, face some of those contend with, some of those life issues. As I say, maybe they've been part of our lives for a long time, for years. Maybe, you know, disappointment, rejection has crept in over the years and you kind of battle with it. You ask God to take it away, but it's, it's still there. You're, you're taken to that scripture, my grace is sufficient for you when you meditate on it. And you're but sometimes we just, <clears throat> with some of those major issues of life, we're just, they're just always there. They're just always creating white noise in our mind. But maybe the answer is perspective. Maybe the answer is what is actually God, rather than asking or praying that God actually takes it away, maybe the perspectives that God has placed it there for a reason to draw out gold in you to create a unique vessel, no two are the same, so that you're stronger, more usable, more valuable than the original self. You know, when I was 12 years of age, Mark and I were playing soccer in our backyard. I think Mark led us to, you led us to the grand final one year. To, uh, the, um, we won the premiership one year. 
And I was playing this, this uh, game of soccer in the backyard with my, with my older brother, brother Mark. As a 12-year-old, it was a bit of a show-off, right? A bit of a show pony. Some of, some of you probably think, well, not much has changed, Paul. <laughs> oh, thank you. Honestly, you're a doll for noticing. And uh, we're playing this game of soccer, and, and um, it was a Saturday morning just in the backyard. And I remember as we were playing that game of soccer... My mum and my sister came down the stairs, came down the back stairs, and they were standing up the other end of the yard watching us play soccer. I thought, I've got a captive audience. This is my moment. I'm going to absolutely crack the ball into my brother's face. I know I'm a pastor now. The Lord has done a great work, right? And, um, and I thought, oh, everyone's going to laugh. Everyone's going to think I'm really, really funny and... Stuff like that. Anyway, as I took up and uh, to kick the ball, the ball totally came off the side of my foot, didn't even touch Mark, right, and hit my sister in the stomach, right. I can remember thinking at that moment, you idiot, you idiot, you idiot. What made the situation worse was that my sister was about six months pregnant with my nephew, over the course of time, uh, over the course of time, and, and Kerry gave birth to Brett. I know many of you know and love Brett, as we do as a family. But when Brett was diagnosed with Down syndrome, probably when he was about two or three weeks old, I blame myself for that because I thought it was a result of that incident with the, with the soccer ball. I now know that a chromosomal condition like Down syndrome is not determined by trauma, but it's actually determined at conception. I know that now. I didn't know that as a 12-year-old. So going through my life, probably for about the next 10 or 20 years, I carried this guilt and this incredible shame. Every time I saw Brett, it was a remembrance of that day playing backyard soccer and the guilt and the burden was secretly carried no one knew for I don't know the next probably the next two or three decades and as I became a Christian and really began to deal with this deep sense of hurt I can remember you know over the years you know as a young pastor particularly you know you're ask different people, men of God, that you really respected to mentor you, to take you under your wing, to, you'd give them permission to speak into their life. And I certainly did that as a young man, as a young pastor. And out of all the various mentors that I've had over the years, they've always said one thing to me, Paul, you're too hard on yourself. Paul, you're a perfectionist. Paul, you're far too hard on yourself. Where does that come from, Paul? Well, I don't know, I don't know. I know exactly where it came from. Because at that moment, in a backyard of playing soccer, a seed of not only self-hatred went in, but it was a self-loathing. I hated myself. That is pretty deep. You don't get over that with a praying three times and asking for the Lord to take it away, right? But as I've become a Christian and journeyed through that, I've learned humility. I've learned perseverance. I've learned 
self-acceptance, that's a pretty amazing gold fracture right there. This has probably been the primary catalyst. That experience was probably the primary catalyst for me overcoming personal insecurity. Not only that, I've been able to help others through that whole process of helping others um, overcome their own sense of personal insecurity. I've learned so much about myself as I've journeyed with this with God. Learned so much about myself. I've learned even more about God. So that's a that's another really um, significant gold fracture that's flowing through. It's part of my story. It's part of my history. God hasn't taken away the memories. God hasn't taken away the experience. The memories are still really, really there. They're really, really strong. But I guess above all, I've really, really learned the power of Psalm 16 and verse 7. That says this, I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. You know, regardless of the degree of brokenness that you might be carrying this morning, whether it's your fault, that was my fault. I can't blame anybody else for that, right? But whether the brokenness that you carry has come as a result of maybe a, a silly decision or an unwise decision that you've made or or because of something that's been imposed upon you, something someone else has said, like for a lot of those things, you've got no control over it, right? But regardless of how it got there, it is your responsibility to journey through it. And I can say this to you, that with God's hand on that, there is a beautiful gold thread of grace that brings healing to that crack. It's not concealed. It's still there. It's not concealed. But that is part of your story. That is part of your history. And God can accomplish. We've already been singing it this morning. God can accomplish the possible and make you a person who is now stronger, more beautiful, more resilient, more capable, a greater ability to be used by God and others. No two are ever the same. And the latter self is far greater than the former self because of those things that we carry. I'll just end with this scripture. Again, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 8. Why don't we stand to our feet as I read this? And this morning I'm reading from the Living Bible. It says this, three different times I begged God to make me well again. Each time he said to me, no, but I am with you. That is all you need. My power shows up best in weak people. Now I am glad to boast about how weak I am. I'm glad to be a living demonstration of Christ's power instead of showing off my own power and abilities. Just before we go this morning, let me, let me just pray for you in this place this morning. In actual fact, if there's been things that I've said that have really resonated with you this morning, let, just get, give me a wave of your hand. It's one thing to listen to the Word of God. It's another thing to actually do some form of response. Yes, hands going up all over the place. Anybody else this morning? Hands up going all over the place. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Yes, God, yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. In a moment, we're going to sing this song just wherever you are this morning. 
I want you to, I want you to just embrace the words of this song. Open up your heart. Listen, when we do this with our hands, when we lift our hands, what is it doing? It's actually a signal of openness. It's a signal of God, whatever it takes. God, I am an open vessel to you. So if this is you, if this has been a word for you this morning, let me encourage you, just as we sing this next song, hold out your hands, lift up your hands with a prayer of declaration. God, whatever it takes. God, I'm an open vessel before you. Fill it with gold, God. Fill it with gold, God. Fill it with gold, God. And so right now, Heavenly Father, I pray for every single person in this room right now. Lord, and I declare in every crack, in every fracture, Father God, I declare Your beautiful work, the hand of God at work in every single situation, God. Lord, let us not go from this place the same as we walked in, but oh God, do a work of transformation in my life right now. Do a work of transformation in our heart right now. Do a work of beauty in our lives right now that we would never be the same again. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen and amen. Every hour, every minute, You have always been there. You are faithful and You always will be. Every trial, every failure, you are loyal to me. You are faithful and you always will be. Every hour, every minute. Every hour, every minute, you have always been there. You are faithful and you always will be. of grace gee grace is so transformative it is unbelievably transformative so when you begin to understand the revelation of grace and what Jesus did on the cross you can't help but begin to change the outworking is this change in your life and that golden strip that replaces that scar and so I want to ask you just a question Do you want to receive that ultimate power of grace, of Jesus' working love into your life? And if that is you, while every eye is closed, I'll get everyone just to close their eyes for a moment. If that is you, I'd love you to raise your hand. Because I want to say just a very simple prayer, but it is the most powerful prayer you will ever pray. Thank you, Father. There's one hand that's just gone up over here. Is there anyone else that would love to receive that power of grace? It's this friendship of Jesus that begins to change your world. Anyone else? Anyone else? 
just give you, giving you one more moment. If everyone can just repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I accept your love. I accept your forgiveness. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. Thank you for rising again. Thank you for taking all that sticky sin in my life and replacing it with a heart of gold. I'm now your child. I receive your goodness and I receive the plan that you have for my life. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed this message. For more information, please visit macroylifechurch.com.au.